Welcome to this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. Thank you for joining me. My next guest was born in Pensacola, Florida. At the age of eight, he played his first organized football game on a team that was sponsored by the Salvation Army. He attended Samuel High School in Pensacola, Florida, where he played high school football and ran track. During his high school football career, his team won two state championships, and he rushed for 106 touchdowns and 8,804 yards. At the time, that was the most yardage in the history of American high school football. He played three years at the University of Florida in Gainesville, racking up 58 school records before being selected in the first round of the 1990 NFL Draft by the Dallas Cowboys. He soon established himself as one of the league's premier running backs. He was named NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 1990, and the following season ran for 1,563 yards to capture the first of his four NFL rushing titles. His impressive resume includes three Super Bowl championship rings, eight-time Pro Bowler, first in the NFL history to rush for more than 1,000 yards in 11 consecutive seasons, induction to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2010, and on October 27, 2002, he surpassed his hero, Walter Payton, as the NFL's all-time leading rusher. He also added Arthur to his list of accomplishments, publishing Game On, which outlined the principles that helped him succeed both on and off the field. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome a gentleman that I'm proud to call my friend and brother, Emmett J. Smith III, to Self Made. <laughs> Emmett, glad to have you. D, how you doing, man? It's good to be on your show. Hey, Emmett, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you on, man. This is uh, one of my first episodes that I'm shooting, so I'm glad that you are able to be part of this, uh, this story with me. Uh, I'm going to roll right into the show. So, Emmett, first of all, you know, you were born uh, in Pensacola, Florida, uh, May 15, 1969. Uh, you know, we've talked about it many times. My son, Brandon, he shares the same birthday. So that's uh, quite a coincidence there. Right, right. I know your family lived in the, uh, in the projects uh, until your mom and dad, with the help of your grandfather, helped you move into your own three-bedroom home where you had to share a bedroom with your three brothers. Right. Talk to me briefly about your childhood and some of the uh, challenges and hardships you had to go through. Well, D, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, <clears throat> You, you don't realize what kind of hardships you have had uh, in your life until you have something different or something better. Um, and it's not really hardships at the time because you're, you're, you're living amongst your family members and you're going through life. And this is what you know. And what you know is great at the moment. This is it. This is, this is the best, best, best of the best of the worlds that you can actually have. And so, uh, but there were still challenges now, uh, even amongst, uh, family members, as most families will have, whether it's um, my, my grandfather getting off work on a Friday night and having a fifth of gin and drinking a lot of gin and having a good time, or whether it's my father on his CB radio station interrupting everybody's television around in the neighborhood. So you're watching a favorite show and here come your daddy on the CB radio station interrupting <laughs> that. Uh, or whether it's, it's mom uh, getting home late at night after working uh uh, at a taco stand and, and bringing the food home when she's getting home by 10 o'clock. Um, and beyond that, you had to deal with other elements of what society had to offer, whether it's, uh, as they would call them, um, uh, the night walkers, as well as uh, you're dealing with some drug stuff around in the neighborhood, some gang, not necessarily gang, but you had some uh, corporals in terms of uh, uh, people fighting, people stabbing, people shooting, uh, just different types of things that you had to learn how to deal with. But uh, life was good. 
and you learn how to maneuver through certain things and, and not only maneuver through it, but distance yourself from it. Uh, but the thing that, that, uh, my brothers and all of us gravitated to was sports. It was the one thing that we all had in common, uh, from, um, my mom who loved the game of football, my father who played football, um, my cousins who were all football players, whether they played quarterback, linebacker, wide receiver, uh, you name it, they did it. And so my brothers and Eric Emery and I, and we all kind of went in their footsteps. And so, uh, life was good, um, as we know it at that time, even right. having, even having government cheese and pot of milk, right. <laughs> you name it, that's all that we knew. Right. And, and then when, when you learn something else, then you start to realize there's a significant difference than, uh, the haves and the have nots. And, uh, you know, so, but you have great appreciation from where you, which you come from. No, I agree with you hundred percent because, you know, I come from similar circumstances, so I can I can relate to the the times growing up, and you know we never knew that we were um, any different than anyone else. Uh, you know, we would exactly. go on vacation, uh, pack up a, a cooler with Coca Colas and and chicken and, and sandwiches, and, and sandwiches, <laughs> and, and stay with relatives when we get there. So you know, I, I understand completely. But now I heard this story about you wearing your clothes inside out growing up. <laughs> tell me, tell me about that. What's, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, you know, when you playing football in, in in the park and you playing sandlot football after school, uh, which we did quite a bit. Uh, one day I came home and there was grass stains all over my clothes, and my mom was hot because she had to wash them again and so forth and on and on. Uh, and she didn't want me to do that. And so what I did was I tried to get smart. I turned my clothes inside out and go play football. And then by the time I went home, I flipped them on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she wouldn't know, but eventually she still found out that I was out there playing football in my, in my uh, school clothes. And, and, you know, uh, when you don't have the resources, uh, you make do with what you have. Right. And, you know, the one thing about growing up doing, uh, I want to say our era, uh, is the fact that we were very, very creative. We, we were told to get outside in the summertime and stay outside until it started to get dark, be home before the street lights come on. So you, you get creative, you find things to do. If we could not afford a basketball rim or basketball goal, guess what we did? We took the tires off of a bicycle, knocked the spokes off and nailed it to the back of a tree. And we shot basketball, right? If we couldn't, if we didn't have a football, but we found a tennis ball or, or a balled up piece of paper, put some can or put a can in it and, and wrapped it up in paper and everything else and taped it down. Then we had us a football that we played, played in the street with. So we found ways to entertain ourselves and, and, and do, and we found creative ways to develop the, the skill set to, to even think about becoming an engineer or something of that nature. So uh, we just cre- we were very creative, and 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 that to me was part of my creativity, by not getting in trouble, by turning my pants inside out, so my mom did not know I was out playing football in my <laughs> good school clothes. <laughs> you know, uh, that brought back a lot of memories. When I was growing up, we used to get a milk crate and, and we'll nail it to a tree, and that's what we used for a basketball goal. Yeah. Uh, I can relate to the, all those uh, creative ways we used to find to have fun. But yeah. grow- growing up, uh, I know you always dreamed of playing for the Dallas Cowboys. But in order to make your dream a reality, you had to own your craft. What right. does that mean to you, just really owning your craft? Well, first and foremost, I would tell anyone that has any desire to be 
to find or to reach a level of greatness within their own mind. Uh, it's a process. It's not, and it is a journey and, and there's no, no straight lines at all. There is a zigzag road up a steep, steep hill. And the reason I call it a zigzag road up a steep, steep hill, because you have to go through the process of developing the, not only the mental uh, toughness that's going to be required to go through things that life is going to deal you along the way. Uh, but the steepness is going to help you develop the muscle strength and the endurance uh, to continue to push yourself to another level of greatness. Um, and, and the process is, 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 is not for everyone. And you gonna have to learn throughout the entire process that everybody cannot go where you're going. And you're going to have to drop some people off. And if you don't have friends around you that are pushing you and challenging you to become the very best, then you don't have a great group of friends at all. You really have folks that are following, trying to do the same thing. You know, when you, when you're in a bad group, when everybody's is telling you, you're doing great and nobody's challenging you right. or no one is pushing you and everybody just, yeah, you write all the time. No, you're not right all the time. And so you have to learn how to uh, weave yourself through this maze of life, uh, gather the knowledge where you can gather the knowledge. If you're the smartest in your group, you're in the wrong daggone group. You right. need to get to another group. So um, that whole process of getting to where I am now, uh, there are so many uh, men and women that have poured into my life. Uh, and, and poured into it at the right time, whether it's my mom and dad giving me the advice that they gave me before I became who I am on a public scene, uh, or whether it was great coaches that gave me advices, advice as I was playing a game of football, even at a young age, all the way up to where I'm at to this day. Um, it, it, it truly takes a village, to be honest with you, to help shape all of us into the men and women that we're trying to become that positive village. The ones that are going to tell you you're doing wrong and the ones going to also tell you when you're doing right. And the ones that tell you you need to be humble because you're walking around with a level of arrogance and and you need to lower. Uh, you shouldn't be expecting certain things. You need to go earn the right to get whatever it is that you're trying to get. And I've had a lot of those folks in my life, and I'm so thankful for them because it's those things that have afforded me the opportunities that I see that's laying out before me right now. And, and I see the world through the lens of sports and through the eyes of the folks that have helped shape me into the man I am right now. Yeah, you, you know, you touched on a lot of uh, important things there. And I know that growing up, um, you know, your family, uh, you know, experienced financial hardships sometime and that so much so to you, I think made a deal with your mom to where you um, you got a job so that you have extra things. And you tell a story <laughs> about loaning your mom two hundred dollars and yeah. not getting paid back. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about it. I said she must be some kin to my mama. <laughs> but, but talk to me about taking that leap from really going from uh, nothing to being what I would call self-made. Well, y you know. It's funny because uh, when you're. When you come from humble beginnings, the way you and I have come from, and um, you learn things, and those things are through the eyes of the people that you grew up with. And when you don't have much to invest in, you don't even have the conversation around the dinner table about investing. Yes, you have the conversation around the dinner table about business and everything else, but 
No one in your household really knows how to even start a business, let alone run a business. No one in your household have the expertise or the the, the business acronym that's going to be required to have a successful business. They have the acronym, uh, the acronym of being a entrepreneur and being a small business, maybe a mom and pop business. But how do you grow a business to a multi-million dollar machine and an organization that continues to, to, to thrive? What do you know about investing in yields and returns? Yes, you know about CDs. Yes, you know about taxes. Yes, you know about uh, maybe some bonds. But do you know about stocks? Do you know about investing in real estate? Do you know what the yields and the returns and the risk factors really are? That was not a topic of conversation at the Smith household around a dinner table. Not right. at all. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, when you get go from zero to 100 in terms of finances, you go from college to a million dollars. And then you realize that a million dollars is really not a million dollars. It's only a million dollars on the surface. But after you pay your taxes, it's about 640 right. <laughs> or 740. And that's when you realize that, hey, there's a lot more to just making money and, and saving money. Um, because at that time, I saw the world through the lens of my parents and my grandparents. Uh, taking six hundred and or seven hundred forty thousand dollars or a million dollars and putting it into what one would call, uh, from my perspective, would have been a CD or a bond. But in at that level, you're introduced to different types of investments. Uh, you obviously you have your asset balance, asset allocated portfolio of stocks and bonds and 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 so forth. But then you also have this category called alternative investments, which means that, yes, you can invest in other high yielding things that can return the yield, but also the risk that comes along with it. And in some cases, some folks have enough capital to where they create their own private equity money and private equity funds that they invest personally in certain businesses. Um, So all those things I had to learn. I had to learn throughout the years that I was playing professional football, but my focus was on my craft and, and owning my craft and mastering my craft and becoming the best version of myself on the football field. But what I learned was that there is a balance between the two and you do have enough time to really engage uh, with business leaders around your community, learn different things that you otherwise would not have learned when you was back eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, even going through college. Uh, and you start to see the world through different lenses of the folks that you are around. That's why I say, if you are the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to elevate yourself to the next level of rooms. <laughs> and if you got folks that is willing to come with you, then you bring them with you because everybody should want to gain knowledge from people who've been there, done that. And, and, and that's the way I've always been. I've always been a sponge. I want to soak it all up. I want to understand what I don't know. Right. I want to be able to apply the things that I do know uh, um, and the things that I'm learning from others to who I am and own it for myself so I can not only go fishing, but I can also teach others how to fish. Right. 
Well, you know, financial literacy is, uh, is still uh, a very big issue uh, in this country, uh, especially in communities of color. And so uh, those conversations that you're describing are not being held around th th those tables. And so that's something that, um, you know, we, we really need to give a lot of attention to. Uh, I want to pivot back to, to your football career for a second. Um, I know that uh, Walter Payton was your, was your hero. Mm -hmm. On October 27, 2002, you broke his record to become the, the NFL all-time leading yeah. rusher. Uh, walk me through that moment. How did you feel? Well, I tell you, um, uh, I can't tell you how I felt without telling you how I felt when I first met Walter. I met Walter in like 92, 93 here in Dallas at a Dope Walker Award ceremony. And, and I got a chance to stand up close to him and measure myself <laughs> in terms of height and, <laughs> and, 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 and speak to the man that I've idolized since I was in high school and so forth. Um, and he, he was about my height, about my size. And which gave me the confidence that I could do the things that he was doing in the National Football League. But I had to ask all kinds of questions. I was an inquisitive individual. Hmm. Um, I asked him about his workout regimen. I've heard about it. I read a little bit about it. I saw a little bit on, uh, uh, you know, NFL, uh, ESPN. They showed his workout regimens and stuff, walk, running the hills of the deltas of Mississippi uh, to prepare himself physically. So I had to ask all those kind of uh, probing questions to gain as much insight from a guy that I admired so much and had a long NFL career because I wanted to have a long NFL career too as well. And so having that dialogue with him just, just fueled me to want to break the record even more. Um, and, you know, having a conversation around how do you take care of your body, uh, especially during the course of the season, then how do you take care of it during the off season? Uh, how do you eat? What do you put in your body? What don't you put in your body? How much rest you get? How often you work out? What type of workout hours do you do? When you get older, what do you, what kind of adjustments you make? How often do you run in a day or run throughout the week? All kinds of things. And, uh, how do you recover massages, chiropractic, et cetera, et cetera. Those are things that we had conversations around. And then um, how do you carry yourself off the field? I mean, when you're in the crowd, how do you manage the success that you actually have? How do you uh, keep things in perspective? How do you deal with family? How do you all just, just questions, just, just opening myself up and being humble enough to go and ask for things and knowledge that I did not have and wanted to have uh, just in case I encountered it along the way. Uh, therefore, no one could ever say that they never gave me that advice. And, and so the day that I broke the record, um, I carried with him, carried with me on that football field, his spirit, because he, he, he passed away uh, in uh, 98, 99. And, 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 and he and I had a conversation that same Dope Walk Award uh, ceremony. And I told him, uh, I asked the question, I said, who do you think can break your record that's playing today? He said, well, there's two guys that can actually do it. I, he believed. He believed Barry Sanders was one and I was the other. And my comments to him was, 
I don't know what Barry Sanders want, but I want to become the all-time leader in Russia. And I want to honor you in that process. So that morning when I woke up, and I woke up here in Dallas, and we and I've been going at it for, for weeks now, trying to get to that place to, to, to overcome and break the record. I woke up with a sense of pride. I woke up with a sense of humility and excitement, but yet I was calm. Um, and, and I walked on the football field. I walked on the football field with his spirit in my heart. And, and I knew in my heart, this was the day that we had to go down, uh, because, you know, God don't make any mistakes. Let me put it to you that way. Uh, I could have, he could have set it up where I broke it on the road, but he didn't. This was our last home game for about two weeks. And, and the pace I was running that, that year, I would have, if I didn't get it today, I would have had to break it on the road. And, and I felt like his purpose was for the city of Dallas, the state of Texas, and all Dallas Cowboy fans around the country to experience that moment in Texas Stadium, not knowing what the future of Texas Stadium would even hold uh, in terms of Jerry knocking it down and moving it to uh, Arlington. So when I walked on the football field that day, uh, I was excited because I know my mom and dad, my friends, all of them had come into town. Uh, Walter's family was in town. Uh, and so there was great expectations all around it. And when I broke the record, it was a bittersweet moment because I wanted my hero to be there with me, to celebrate with me uh, uh, on top of my family. Um, but I had to, I embraced his brother, Eddie, his, 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 uh, his mom, uh, his, his son, Jared and, and, and Brittany and Connie uh, embraced the whole entire family because I wanted them to be there. So I can honor them in this whole moment because passing the torch is, is exactly what it is. And uh, honoring the people uh, and the giants that we're the shoulders that we're standing up on, that's exactly what it is. And that's what I wanted to do. To, um, to close out the interview, um, I, I always say the best for last. So as you know, I'm a proud life member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. <laughs> and you are a member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. And, in the, and from my business and personal life, uh, my fraternity uh, relationship uh, has been a significant in my both social and business uh, uh, development. Uh, how has uh, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity uh, impacted your life? To be honest with you, um, uh, it has impacted my life from the standpoint. Let me just give you a little history on mine. See, I didn't pledge when I was in college. I went back to school, not pledged for a semester. So I didn't really get the whole whole. Get, I didn't get a chance to immerse myself into everything that the organization is all about. But scholarship and service is part of who I am. That's part of my DNA. So I just extended what they instilled in me in that semester. I extended it to what I do on a daily basis. And that is try to serve our communities in the best light that I possibly can and be a positive impact or a positive influence on our culture and represent us in a way that people can never say that there aren't any quality African-American men or women out here doing quality work. Right. And so my fraternity, I was talking to my fraternity brother, my big brother, Mike P this morning. And uh, so staying in contact with my folks uh, and, and, and being invited not only to conclaves and things of that nature, things that I truly aspire to do, but when you have 
uh, five kids, uh, two of that are still in college right now. One is about to get ready to go to college and an and a, and 11-year-old that you're raising as well. And the businesses that we're talking about, there's only so many places that I can be at one time. So it's not that I'm not engaged with my fraternity. Being financial is extremely important uh, to, the, to the financial group. To, to the fraternity itself, but the relationships that I fostered over the years in my in my fraternity as well as our sorority um, has been paramount. Uh, just great people, and uh, and I enjoy our time together when we are together. But I'm on a mission right. <laughs> to make the I'm on a mission to make the fraternity proud as well as we go out and transform communities and bring the fraternities in, so people get a chance to know. Uh, have a place where the fraternity itself can get back to the community. Absolutely. And on, on every show I do, including my podcast, I always, whenever I have a fraternity, uh, a member of a fraternity or sorority on, I always want to highlight and showcase that because the, the work we do in terms of uh, community service and achievement should be, should be highlighted. Emmett, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. Thanks to all my viewers for watching. Without you, there's no me. Have a great day. See you next time.